Hello and welcome to the Six Cells podcast. I'm Mike Nicholson from Six Cells, and in this episode, I talk to Jonathan Waite from Havas Media and Mike Follett from Lunar Research about measuring active attention to advertising. The following conversation was first broadcast live on LinkedIn in January 2022 and is now made available as an audio podcast for your listening pleasure. If you work in media, marketing or advertising and would be interested in hearing more conversations about the attention economy, please do subscribe to the Six Cells podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, if you follow Six Cells on LinkedIn, you'll get notifications of future episodes first. This was a really interesting conversation with two thought leaders in the attention space. I hope you enjoy it. If we could perhaps start with you, John, give us a little bit of an introduction to who you are, what you do, and who you do it for, please. Yeah, cheers, Mike. Yes, I'm John Waits. I'm um, the Global Head of MX Activation at Havas Media Group. So we're just going for the longest titles we can fear. Um, but effectively, what that means is I'm, I'm responsible for setting the strategy and the approach to how we actually go and buy media, as opposed to the guys that do some of the planning and strategy in the group. So... Um, how we kind of better do reach-based planning or uh, build that towards attention-based planning uh, and ultimately go and trade that with our partners and in the tools and systems that we use. So I've been super interested in the area of attention for, for about three years now, um, having previously been at Dentsu and working on their attention economy program and now uh, at Havas. Fantastic. Thank you. And Mike, over to you, sir. Hi, um, my name is Mike Follett. I'm the Managing Director of Lumen. We're an attention technology provider. Um, so we've developed some software that turns people's cameras, their webcams on their desktop computers or their phones into high quality eye tracking cameras. And we can use this to understand not just what was on the screen, what was viewable, but also what actually was looked at. Uh, what was attended to and uh, so I've been working with John um, uh, when he was overseeing the uh, attention economy project and we've been working together with an American company called T-Vision who do the same sort of stuff as us but for TV uh, and now that he's um, gone over to uh, us we, we're continuing our conversations in, in, a, in a new environment. Fantastic. So, so the first thing I think is to get straight is we're starting a conversation here. Um, everyone's going to be joining this conversation um, with a with a different um, sort of set of knowledge, I suppose. So, um, it will probably be helpful if we could start by getting the definitions straight in terms of you know what do we mean when we say viewability and what do we mean when we say active, uh, sorry, attention and also active attention. I don't know if there's a difference or whether it's just um, different phrases uh, for the same term, but um, Mike, since you're the, uh, the, the the guy that does a measurement here, do you want to kick us off with how you define viewability and how you define attention, please? Well, viewability is one of those um, uh, uh, seemingly innocuous words that has a very, very precise meaning. There's an organization based in New York called the Media Ratings Council, and they have very, very strict definitions of what counts as a viewable ad on mobile and on desktop and I suppose now increasingly on TV as well. And so for different ad formats, they have slightly different definitions um, of it. But but all of the definitions are are based on size and time. Uh, The first thing is, uh, uh, was your ad on the screen or was was a large enough portion of your ad on the screen to be deemed viewable was it 50 percent or 100 percent of the pixels or the or the or the part of the ad on the screen um 
and uh, that's the, the first element of of what they define as, as, as something being viewable. But 100% of the pixels could be on the screen for a nanosecond, and that wouldn't be good enough because you wouldn't have enough time to, to look at this. So they came up quite arbitrarily with a definition that uh, your ads have to be either 50 or 100% of the pixels on screen for one or two seconds. And different formats have different um, uh, standards there. But it's always about the proportion of um, uh, the ad that's on the screen and the length of time that it's on the screen for. These are, this is a really good start, but it's only uh, a proxy for attention. Really, that viewability thing in, in other media is called opportunity to see. You know, was you know, could someone have seen that? And what we measure at Lumen and what the guys at T Vision do for for TV is not just work out the opportunity to see, but if anyone clocked the ad at all, you know, was there any visual engagement with that ad? And that's what we call attention. Was there even a, a, a tenth of a second of people actually looking at it? And if people did actually look at it, how long do they look at it for? Now, that's quite a big difference between what people could see and what people do see. But that's the, the important difference that we see. And, and, and that's what we take seriously. And it's a quite a big step change because you know, most media metrics, like planned impressions, for example, historically are only based on did the ad get served? So did it make it to a device or a placement, whether that's a TV ad, a digital ad, an out-of-home ad? Uh, and doesn't even go so far as to say it had to give someone an opportunity to see. It's just did the impression make it there? And sometimes it didn't. You know, some, there's ad fraud and everything else to consider before you even get to a clean impression. The viewability bit added, okay, well, we have to level set and make sure that there was a reasonable opportunity for someone to see it. And the attention bit goes a bit further and says, what's the likelihood someone's actually going to look at it or look at it and spend time with it? Okay. Uh, and it's probably worth um, clarifying as well. What, what we're talking about for the purposes of this conversation certainly is visual attention, right? We don't um, pay, um, we don't measure or track or, or look at currently um, audio um, or, or any other uh, smell or anything like that. Obviously, we're talking specifically about visual attention, correct? Yeah, I think it's important. I think that that's just a, a limitation of the current technology. Or, and, sure. and we, it is, but it's a very important thing. You know, I think that the you know, sonic attention is really, really important. But it's almost impossible at the moment to do ear tracking. It's quite easy yeah. to do eye tracking, but ear track. But it doesn't mean that sound doesn't make a difference. Similarly, there's uh, there are whole agencies out there about haptic branding and and touch and, and feel and, and stuff like that. And I'm sure that that's important too. But the the good thing about eye tracking is that you you don't need to attach any electrodes to anyone's heads. You can just watch their eyes, um, and you can do it at scale. And many media are primarily, if not totally, but primarily visual. So it's, you know, it's not the full story. Even at visual attention isn't the full story, <laughs> but it, it's that much better. Cool. Um, so why now? Um, the three of us caught up very quickly earlier, just sort of planning for the, uh, for the episode today. Um, and, and I was taking a trip down memory lane to the days where... Um, when I, when I was at the Telegraph, in the early days at least, um, when an advertiser wanted to advertise um, with the Telegraph, they would send the assets to us. 
and we would send them back a report telling them this is how many times we delivered it and this is what the click-through rate was. There was no third-party ad serving. There was no third-party tracking. Viewability had not been invented even yet. Um, so we've gone gone quite a long way. It's, um, I've got the grey hairs to attest to it, I suppose, but it's, uh, it's, it seems that we've done an awful lot in, the, in, a, in a relatively short space of time. So why are we going from um, a system that seemed to be quite uh, well rolled out in terms of viewability and uh, publishers being able to give a viewability score um, to media agencies and and their advertising uh, clients. Uh, why are we moving on a step? And uh, John, you called it a step change. Why are we taking that extra step to, to, to try and understand the specific attention and, and why now in particular? Yeah, so I, if I'm being brutally honest, I, I think as a industry as a group of media planners buyers marketeers our eyes been taken off the ball in terms of the quality of the experience people are having with advertising it we kind of have had have had to but have had an obsession with driving cost-effective reach across multiple platforms driven by the huge fragmentation in the various channels and devices and you know sites we have to advertise across than we did 15 years ago that led kind of agencies and planners down the road of I need to replace the reach I'm losing in this particular channel, let's say TV, as an example, elsewhere. And I'm being driven to do that through the KPIs I've been set. Um, and I'm going to go find those impressions elsewhere. What you know was less considered was, OK, but I'm taking away from an experience over here that's delivering lots of attention and, and people are having a good experience with and placing it in areas that doesn't offer the same thing. And ultimately, potentially, aren't as effective as those channels were. So the idea of people's media experiences, which is at the heart of, of Habas's kind of current strategic offering, is really critical. Like, let's think about how people are actually engaging with the ads we're putting out there. And ultimately, we'll get better effectiveness because a focus on kind of spurious media metrics and, and kind of spurious effectiveness measures lead us down quite often the wrong path. And I think there's a big kind of desire to course correct on that from my point of view. And if you take something like viewability, it was a great step change from just an impression. It, it kind of level set on opportunity to see, but it doesn't tell you so much about a different media experience. If I, you know, you think about um, just two formats, YouTube skippable versus non-skippable, for example, they can be exactly the same length of ad, exactly the same piece of creative, but the, same, the way someone responds to that because they've been given the choice to watch or they haven't been given the choice to watch can be very different. So some of the work that I've done with Mike can show that even through, even though unskippable formats can deliver higher seconds of attention, so eye gaze because you're forcing someone to stay there, the effectiveness of each second of attention is greater from the skippable stuff. So if someone's chosen to watch it, they're more likely to recall the brand or have a positive experience with it. And that's that's way beyond the kind of level of media planning that, that exists in the day to day at the moment. I think. Okay, Mike. Anything to add to that? Well, I think there's two things. It's sort of a, a push thing and a pull thing. I mean, in addition to that, the idea uh, John's saying, I mean, there is a lot of crap in the market, but there is a lot of good stuff to buy. And identifying the good stuff and avoiding the bad stuff has a massive effect, like, like John was saying. But I think there's two other factors. One is one is that we can now do this sort of stuff. People have been talking about attention for years. You know, I was reading in in AdMap or, or WAR because it is now. 
you know, there's some conference in Oxford in 1969 where people were saying, oh, well, even if we measure OTS, is it still just the opportunity to see if only we could measure the S? I mean, that's like 60 years ago that people are, are really talking about um, uh, that sort of stuff. So uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago, um, uh, at least. Now we can do that thanks to scalable um, eye tracking. You know, instead of instead of waiting to do these one-off studies, we can have these massive great panels. And then because you've got massive great panels, you've got massive great data sets, you can have really robust models of attention that actually work. So the fact, the fact is that we might have always wanted to do this, but now we can do it. So that's one bit. The other big thing that I think is happening that I've noticed is that people are spending in the digital media. I mean, John's experience, you know, has, he covers all the different media, but obviously digital media is, is is a very big part of that. But you started off as a TV planner, didn't you, John? So, Indeed, you know, yeah. um, uh, so you, you, have a, you have automatically have a much broader perspective on things. But I think for people who have only worked in digital media, we've always assumed that the only thing that matters is the cookie. Um, and uh, uh, and so, in an altered way, we haven't had to measure the media so much because you just measure the, you know, cookie knows best. You know, you know what to do. And that way of thinking, I never think it was a very good way of thinking, but it's going away. It's just not, you know, it's not, it's not going to be available anymore. Mm. And so, uh, all that audience targeting, all that sort of spying on people and tracking their behaviour, thanks to Apple, thanks to uh, the ICO, and thanks to you know now, now Google getting you know deprecating that technology, means that we'll uh, we have to look for other ways of working out where the good stuff is and where the bad stuff is when you buy when you buy mm. media. And, that, and that's not that's not always super easy. It's a great it's a great example, right? I won't say which agency it was from, but. I was talking to a social social media planner who was running a campaign for a client and they're saying the problem is having this viewability filter on my campaign is making it less effective. So by having to, by setting a standard that I only want to buy ads that hit that standard Mike talked about earlier, 50% for one second, it was making the, the, the campaign KPI, which was probably something like clicks, for example, worse. I want to bring some common sense back to it because I fundamentally don't believe that that's the thing making it worse. Like, if you're turning off viewability and buying ads that aren't viewable, and it's making the click-through rate better, the attribution model is the thing that's broken, not the not the, <laughs> not the place. Or could it be perhaps letting more fraud in but by click to taking view um, viewability off? Perhaps there's more chance for bots to start clicking. So there's there's a big part which is we have to kind of lift people up from looking at these kind of optimization sheets and systems working and thinking about what sits behind that and asking more questions about it um, and, and, and ultimately kind of understanding that I don't believe an ad that can't be seen is is, is um, effective. It's a bit, it's yeah, weird. yeah. You saw the, the, the somersaults that people would do because if you automatically assume that the, the, the cookie is right, so the cookie can't lie, um, you go, oh, I'm getting loads of clicks from ads that are non-viewable or, you know, strangely I'm making lots and lots of sales in northern Pakistan um, and, you know, which is where it's not necessarily where I have any shops or, or anything. You know, you you become quite, you know, you use that as your metric uh, uh, and then you have to try and explain away that data. When you, when you, when you 
remove clicks uh, as uh, or, or cookie targeting. I mean, still many many times have sort of first party clicks, but when you remove the cookie targeting uh, from that, you have to sort of go back to basics about what what advertising is all about. It's about getting attention and and, and changing people's minds. And so I think. As people have come to terms with the fact that the cookie is going away, suddenly I get sort of saying that, that people are starting to rethink, or, or rather perhaps think, um, uh, uh, about how advertising works. And, and so suddenly things like contextual data, and, and I suppose eye tracking data is, 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 is a form of contextual data, but suddenly contextual data suddenly becomes that much more interesting. And that's why I think now is, is a tensions moment. Okay. So let's dig into a little bit about the process of measuring attention. Um, for those that perhaps are hearing about this for the first time, they might have like cold sweats thinking that the um, the camera on their iPhone is permanently on and, and checking out whether they're looking at um, ads, which obviously clearly isn't the case. Um, I, I stress that is not how it works. But perhaps you could give us a bit of an idea on how it does work. And if, uh, Mike, if someone... Um, like uh, John were to come to you and say, okay, this is a, this might not be how it works, but uh, here's a plan of 30 sites that we have preferred um, uh, supplier arrangements with, and, and, and we want to understand which um, placements on this site um, are most likely to be um, seen, um, you know, this, the S in the opportunities to see. How would that sort of start from scratch? How would you go about doing that? Well, I tell you what. Perhaps if I tell you how we collect the data, and then you know, perhaps John's probably the best person to 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 answer the second half of that one. I, mean, I know the way we collect the data is, like you say, it it, it we it's um quite importantly very above board. So we uh, recruit panels of people um, in the UK and the US, and soon in Russia, and um, we have sort of permanent panels of people where we, we say, would you like to be part of an eye tracking panel? And we'll pay you money for it. And they go, yes, please. And so there's a sort of double opt-in thing uh, there for, for, for the panelists. The panelists are a thousand strong in the US, a thousand in, in the UK and a thousand in Russia. We also do sort of temporary panels all over the world. So Indonesia and Brazil and South Africa. But but those those are the three countries where we have people on on the system every day we pay them um, uh, money and they turn the cameras on whenever they go online, whether it's on when they're on Facebook, when they're on YouTube, when they're on TikTok or newspapers or on eBay or on some random site. And uh, our eye tracking uh, tracks uh, the attention that goes to the content and attention that goes to the ads. Now, there's lots and lots of factors that um, go into uh, uh, whether or not people are going to notice the ads. You know, if big ads get more attention than small ads, ads that are on screen for a long time get more attention than ads that sort of whiz by. You know, ads on mobile get more attention than ads on desktop and, and so on. So lots and lots of factors all happening at the same time. And we've created a, 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 a predictive model of attention. This allows us to uh, to say, under these circumstances, how much attention do you, do you think uh, uh, this will, this will, this ad will get? And we can so Mike, apply that. So on that basis, do you basically collect data on the sites that those one thousand people decide to go to, rather than exactly. try to lead them towards? So, okay, right, got it. So, so there'll be some telegraph readers, there'll be some FT readers, 
there'll be some sun readers. There'll be quite a lot of people who don't read any newspapers at all. And um, lots of, you know, gaming. It's, it, it's always an education, actually, just to see what, because you, you all live in our own tiny little media bubble, bubbles. You know, I've got like six sites that I go to. It's really interesting to see just the, the, the we've got tens of thousands of sites. You go, I've never heard of, you know, Angling Today and Angling Weekly and, you know, Anglers, you know, who knew? So we collect all this data and, and, and build these, um, uh, 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 models of attention, and then we can deploy that as as planning tools, um, as as reporting tools, and as buying tools. But but John, I mean, I'm interested. For, you know, you know our stuff, and you use it quite a lot. How do you use it? What 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 what? what how does it fit into the to, the picture? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a you know lots of um, online display advertising has been shifted to programmatic over the last. 10 years or so and there's a couple of you know going down the route of open marketplace so you just buy on an open auction across the plethora of inventory that is available out there it's always pointed towards a, a kpi but you don't you know often people aren't thinking about the context and the placement itself they're just trying to push well, let's say it's a click as an example as a terrible example or a sale or whatever it might be so nobody's really giving a lot of thought to where it's placed. They might have a whitelist, so it's you know, in brand safe environments, but they kind of do a setup and then let the let the sort of algorithm do the job as it as it were. So the big shift for us is away from that and, and and talking about these media experiences, you know, wanting our our you know our brands, clients and customers to have better experiences with those brands means putting them in better environments. Where you show up is important as a brand. Um, you know, beyond performance, which is a word I hate, but it exists because every all advertising is performance. Surely, um, you know, we have to think about where we show up. So there's a big shift away from open marketplace for us towards creating uh, what we call meaningful marketplaces. So cu curated uh, inventory sources in a closed marketplace that we have vetted. So have a set of criteria that we vet um, the domains for and the formats for. And ultimately, attention is, is a big part of that. But there's things in there around, you know, how trustworthy are these websites, the levels of fraud, um, you know, are there, can they be categorized, categorized as an, a, a website that's giving someone a proper experience and content that's valuable to them versus what I would call made-for-advertising websites, you know, the very clickbaity websites that we see so much of that don't offer a great experience to anyone and just exist to churn out advertising impressions. As Mike said earlier, there's probably just too much advertising availability out there. There's too much inventory, and I'd love to see a world where there was less, <laughs> and people were paying the right price for it. To be honest, um, so 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 the first thing we're doing is building out tools that allow us to do that curation process to be able to score and rank the experiences that people are likely to have uh, with these formats and websites. So we can give better recommendations, and th those tools are also going to help us set what I would call the appropriate level of attention. So this isn't really an exercise in more attention is always better because there's a, there's a kind of stark reality for, for marketeers that I think average attention to ads in the online space is between what, one and three seconds, Mike, you love the kind of number, one and three seconds, that's it. One and, three, and even on TV, that only, you know, from the work I did with T-Vision a year ago, analyzing sort of a year's worth of their data across all the second lengths, the average is between about six and 10 seconds. So no matter how much you want people to look at your ads, that's that's the level we're dealing with. Um, and what is the right level of attention to drive the, the desired outcome? You know, if you are a well-known soft uh, soft drinks brand 
and your job is to remind people that you exist as a well-known soft drinks brand <laughs> uh, and show them you can, then, you know, you can probably do that job in, in two seconds. But if you're a brand new proposition to market, a D2C company with a new product, you need a lot more, inherently a lot more. So we need to be able to separate out when it's appropriate to pay for um, kind of top-end attention and when we need it and when it's cost-effective, can we buy uh, lower attention in, in different formats? So... There's a job to be done for for tools uh, and attention up front and then in measurement. So the reality is that we're talking about media, like media placements and have us talk about the three C's. So there are three big drivers of attention or, or effectiveness. So the content, so the creative and the content that we're delivering, um, the context, so the media that we're buying and the context that it sits within and the connection. So you can broadly break that down to creative media and relevancy, so relevancy of messaging. And those are all three things we need to consider. First and foremost, what we're trying to understand in depth is inherently without the other two things, like how much attention could I drive ever in this particular format? So an MPU on the front page of The Guardian, for example, probably has a range of between one and four seconds from good to bad. And the thing that's going to get me from one to four is better creative and better relevancy. So we're on a on a journey to try and understand how those three things interplay and how we can deliver the best experiences for people to drive greater attention. So there's the planning part and then there's the measurement part. So you know, we will eventually end up with um, uh, kind of having a, a sort of norms database of attention scores across all media formats. And then clients start measuring how they're performing versus that. So we can separate out the creative and the targeting effect of what they've been doing and deliver stronger recommendations. So that's the that's the kind of first phase of actually building this stuff uh, into, into planning cycles. So people talk about attentive reach and seconds of attention, but ultimately that's the goal. Okay, so... You can take the boy out of the telegraph, but you can't take the telegraph out of the boy. So I'm going to use that as an example again. So let, let's take the banner at the top, the, like the masthead, if you like, at the top of the telegraph. Through the data that Lumen supply to you, you might only see, I would have thought, if there's a thousand people, is, do you track them for the entire month, Mike? And um, We track them every day. So we, every we, day. We, 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 and, and you're right. So we will have um, hundreds of times when people have gone to the telegraph and been exposed to looked or not looked at the telegraph, the banner there. But it's not like we are tracking every single ad in every single location all the time. What we'll do is we will take that sort of information and then use it to build a predictive model to say ads in this location that are available to be seen for this level of time tend to get this amount of attention. And and and, and so it's a combination. Is it at format of, level though? So, so Yeah, format so it'll be about the build but, you know, specific so, form, point, format. At the top of the bill, at the top of the telegraph, um, there's an ad on desktop. There's an ad slot, and then you can sometimes that's a billboard, and sometimes it's a leaderboard, and sometimes it's an in-skin homepage takeover uh, uh, thing. And the models that we have um, will give you a prediction for each and every one of those sorts of uh, for occurrences, because it might be that the leaderboard at the top of the Telegraph gets tons of attention, whereas the leaderboard at the top of the Guardian gets almost none, no attention, or the other way around, or, or, or what have you. So lots and lots of things happening all at the same time. And we give that predictive model to, to John and his team, and they can um, uh, then, uh, at the planning stage, 
they can sort of say, well, you know, from the averages that Lumen have given us, these websites and these formats in general seem to be getting lots more attention than, than other ones. And it seems to be they're not wildly more expensive. So it's not like, you know, you know so the, it's a bargain to buy those ads. But then, as, as as John was saying, that's just a that's just a, a, a at the planning stage. What you want to see is, well, what about my campaign? You know, I know that on average the Telegraph has done this, but what about when I bought a thousand or a million ads on 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 the uh, on the Telegraph? What actually happened? So we can put a pixel on um, the campaign uh, or, or on every ad, and and the, when the ad appears on the Telegraph and on the Guardian and on the Mail and on eBay and so on. We give you a prediction about how much attention we reckon that specific impression generated. And what John and his team can do is uh, 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 go one step further beyond that. Because not only can they tell you that soft drink A, <laughs> we, I mean, we, we, we could say, I imagine we can probably say, I didn't, none, none of this is, but imagine, I don't know, a soft drink called Coca Cola and another one called Seven Up, um, say. I didn't, I didn't want to really dumb down the road. Yeah, exactly. Coca Cola might buy a load of things and, and John might see the data for that campaign. Seven Up might be buy another load of uh, uh, campaigns uh, there. He and his team would be able to say, "Well, what were the what what did we what did we plan for? You know, we 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 thought we would get this amount of attention. In reality, we've got a little bit more, a little bit less. Or these ones performed a bit better than we thought." And you know. but what's really clever about John's approach is that they can do lots and lots of meta analysis on loads of campaigns, so they can get tons of data and go from the sort of rather uh, two-dimensional planning sort of things that go, oh, you know, guess what? The Guardian is always better than, and we think the Guardian is is good, and the Telegraph is even better. When you when you apply these tags right. and then look at the total data set, you can you can really um, have a have a have a much richer and more dynamic uh, 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 idea about what's happening out there. So it's one of those danger though that the, that the number of people looking at any given format on any given site in any given month and the number of creatives that they look at could lead us to make incomplete um, uh, decisions on that format. So if you've Absolutely. got a thousand people looking at any site they want to, and there's a lot of sites out there, then the number that perhaps look at the head that the, the leaderboard on the telegraph might be quite small. Yeah. Um, and the number of creatives that they, they saw might also be, they might be the crap creatives. Exactly. You might therefore, extrapolate from that that that's not a very good attention format but it could have been that they just saw crap creative and we didn't see enough people see it is that is that a danger absolutely and i think john one of your core c's is about creative yeah yeah it's it, it's super it's super important right the only the only way we so the, the question of sort of panel size and how much data can be collected comes up quite a lot um and ultimately kind of the first stage in this is trying to understand those averages so there's sort of a, a reality that 
you know, look, people, those thousand people can look at lots of sites, but I can't remember the exact stat, but what 80% of internet traffic is to the same 100 websites or whatever that stat might be. So, you know, the, the long tail is very, very long and a lot mm. of traffic happens in the, and certainly a lot of the kind of ad impressions happen in those same places. So I think, you know, it's, it's a robust panel size to start understanding the averages for those, for those top, um, top sites. Um, now, how we get to the creative piece, I'd like to see a sort of resurgence in almost pre-copy testing, pre-creative testing. So how can we use the same approaches, so eye-tracking technology, facial recognition, emotional encoding, to understand inherently how strong a piece of copy, piece of creative is, and how can that drive our media planning decisions? Because that just doesn't happen, right? As a, as a guy who's sitting plan TV campaigns and digital and display campaigns, you don't get the creative until the day the campaign's going live. You barely know what you're putting out there. Um, it's, and it's always been the way. Um, but wouldn't it be great if I understood, okay, I've got a really, I've got a piece of copy here that's inherently going to be driving some, you know, some, some great engagement. And even better if I understood contextually how, what it was about. You know, is, it a piece of, is it a funny piece of copy? Is it educational? Is it informed? Whatever it needs to be. Mm. Because that can have a massive impact as well. So, again, some of the work that Mike and I have done before, some really interesting kind of findings coming out of the contextual stuff. So we put a, a gaming ad into a gaming website like GameStop or whatever it might be. And think, okay, well, contextually, that's a really good match. You know, I've got an Xbox ad going into a gaming website. There's an audience of people who are clearly interested in gaming, but it actually performed really poorly. And when you actually kind of look into the reasoning behind it... The from an attention point of view, you mean? From an attention point yeah. of view and from a, a, a KPI's point of view, so from what the client was measuring. But as you look into it, it was a, I think it was an Xbox ad being served into an article about Nintendo Switch. And right. game, gamers are like quite fiercely sort of, you know, protective about their particular console or, or brand. Um, so it's technically contextually right, but also completely contextually wrong. So it kind of goes, <laughs> kind of goes beyond just kind of the, the basics. But if I'd understood earlier you know, in, the, in the process you know, a bit more of this insight and also about the strength of the creative, different decisions could have been taken. So I love the idea of getting a creative understanding much further up the media planning um, process and also leading us down the road of setting that, what is the appropriate level of attention I need to be to be buying and at what cost? Because I think Mike's right about this attention stuff is that in a sense, if you're, if you, you know, if, if you are the Telegraph or, or, the, or the, the, the Guardian or other newspapers are available or, you know, whatever it might be, you can make some really high quality journalism that people scroll very, very slowly through. They're really intently looking at the article. And then you can make sure your uh, uh, website is really uncluttered. Clutter is a real killer of attention to ads. So you want your ads to be one at a time. And then you have to have your ads big and prominent and in the right point of the day. You can do all that. And then um, the agency can put in a real dog of an ad. (laughs) And no matter that you've given the absolute best chance to this ad, um, uh, 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 people might not look at it or or whatever. Creative is really wildly important. So to to your point, uh, Mike, I think uh, our panels are big enough to make sure that uh, uh, we have 
hundreds of, uh, of ads in hundreds of locations uh, to be able to take a real average, you know, from that. So, the, you know, we think we believe that we've got a good, a good range of the good and the bad and the ugly of advertising to for, for each and every location to be able to to speak with some confidence that that the Telegraph really is better than the Mail or, or eBay or, or, or what have you. But while that's an average, the creative is really, really important. And so, you know, with John and, and with other agencies, what we can do is, is, is exactly that, is, is to do some creative testing. Um, we can uh, accept your ads and then set up some little mini tests, mini eye tracking tests to work out like what happens when people are served these ads and how much attention do they get? How can we get, get how can we design them to get a bit more attention? But then I come back to something really important that John said, which is how much attention do they need to get the job done? So, um, you know, and, and just to reiterate, which one, some ads, you, you know what, they do the job just like posters. You know, you just glance at them, you go, oh, yeah, you know, I do fancy a Coke, actually. That's, that's you know, and that, and that is all you need. No one needs to be convinced that, you know, that Coke is a delicious sh sugary drink for a nice for a hot day. I mean, exactly. you just re be reminded, yeah. reminded of that. Whereas mm -hmm. other times, the same brand, Coca-Cola, might go, what I need you to understand is, go on a journey with me, okay? Right. Coca-Cola is delicious, but this is um, uh, Coke Zero, which is the same taste, but, you know. I, now, if you, that, that ad doesn't need just a glance to be right that ad requires three or four or five or six seconds of someone paying attention and going oh i get it right now now the two different th those brand managers will sit next to each other and they will probably talk to the same trader um over at the agency and yet they will require two totally different attention strategies mm -hmm. and so the sort of work that, that 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 john's talking about there um means that there isn't just a one size fits all uh, uh thing you, you you'd you'd use this data and people are i mean that, that that example there is not a just one that i've plucked out of nowhere that, that that's the sort of thing that is happening that people are using the 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 three c's that that, that john's talking about to, to come up with differentiated attention strategies and that's where you can make the most money that's when you can really use this data to by to, to, to do sort of like an attention arbitrage you can like work out where the good stuff is what i need how much i should pay for it and uh, uh, and, and 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 really make a killing in the market okay so my next um my next question kind of comes out of that i suppose and is it fair so i think i think um i think when publishers were asked to um to be certified on viewability i think that makes absolute sense if if they're going to offer a space on the internet for an advertiser to buy it has to be viewable um, I, I don't think anyone would argue that that was fair but is it fair to then um, or indeed are the publishers being held count for attention um, when we've we've sort of both said I think or we've, we've all said that sometimes crap ads can be the reason that people didn't look at the ad because it just wasn't a very good ad so at what point is the publisher um, responsible for attention um, you could argue and again using the telegraph example to keep it consistent you could argue they've given you a big space at the top of their um headline page um it's now up to you to get the attention with the creative 
Um, is there a danger that the, the publisher is going to be beaten with this attention stick um, and perhaps certain ad units will become unfavorable because the eye tracking shows that people don't look at them, but it, but that might be for creative reasons. Um, I'll, I'll chip in on that one if that's all right. So, so I don't, I don't see it as something that becomes a trading mechanic, but I do think it's fair as a way to for buyers and for marketeers to assess the value of the placements they're buying. So to your point, you know, would we ever ask a publisher to guarantee levels of retention? I think that's too difficult. That there's too many variables, the, the creative and what we're trying to achieve. Um, and the most you can ask is that they you know, deliver a proper impression that has an opportunity to see. Mm. But I, as a buyer, can use that data to assess whether I want to buy that placement or not, and whether I think that's valuable and worth paying for. Now, the reality is, all of this stuff leads you down a road of buying better quality stuff. So that headline banner ad on the Telegraph is always going to get good attention. It will be a good format. It's ticking the boxes of being viewable, large, in your face, in front of good content. Um, and, and those are going to be the winners. The ones that will lose out are the publishers creating bad advertising experiences. Um, and I don't see that as a bad thing. Um, so, you know, someone once asked me the question, there are companies out there premised on offering certain formats and only certain formats that could fall by the wayside. I don't care. Like, they're rubbish ads. Like, they've probably been milking that trait for too long. Like, if they have to be forced to create better advertising experiences, to create better ad formats, and that's a good thing for everyone. It's a good thing for the viewers. It's a good thing for advertisers. And ultimately, if, if they if they up their game, it's good for the, the, the media owners. Well, not even, I mean, something, not even up their game. I think already there are some publishers out there, I, you know, the Telegraph. I don't know why we're such so keen on the Telegraph. I mean, the FT is very good. The Economist is good as well. I mean, there yeah. are, but there are already a load of people who are doing the right thing. And they're not seeing, they're not being rewarded for it. Yeah. So there's tons of really good, high quality, and it's not even just the big ones. I mean, there are blog owners and you know, you know, who are doing exactly right. Solace on page, lack of clutter, making sure that the the content is is really good. They are getting uh, forced out of the market by these the, these you know ad farms, um, who 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 meet the the technical specifications of the verification companies, but don't actually deliver any value. So. I think what this data will do is, um, you know, that it will start reward. There'll be a flight to quality because of it, and there are a lot of very, very high quality publishers out there already who are already doing the right thing, who are generating tons of attention for their advertisers. They should see the benefit for it, and a load of the more cynical people who are just packing the page with millions of ads, they will suffer. That said. Our chums over in the States at uh, 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 T-Vision are starting to guarantee, well, no, they, their data is being used to guarantee attention. I would not like to be on the other side of that deal. But well, I think it's N interesting. I just about NBC has said to, to, to some advertisers, we will guarantee you, you know, 12,000 minutes of attention or, or, or something like that. You know, I, I would... For exactly the reasons you're talking about, I'd be quite nervous if I was a publisher or a, or a station saying, promise it's going to work. And then if you, and like, like John says, <laughs> like 3.30 on the Friday before it goes out, the son, son gets sent to the agency and they look at the ad and they go, oh God, 
this but is, is there, terrible. But is there a future where the publishers are going to look at the ad and go, no, you're not running that because you're just going to bring my attention scores down and we're going to end up getting um, told that our, our ad format. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be brilliant? Yeah. yeah. Is that a bad thing? Is that a bad thing? Less rubbish ads? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Um, Gents, we've got a couple of questions and I know we're, um, we're, we're not too far away from time, so I'll just um, throw them out there if that's okay. Uh, Robert yeah. Kelly asks, being cynical, are we not just swapping opportunities to see for opportunities for attention as a measurement? I mean, my, my view would be is that we're, you're, you're, you're starting, to, you're being additive to the current, the current system. So, you know, it used to be just a fired impression. It was then an opportunity to see, it's now an opportunity to see plus probability of, put, I mean, at the very minimum, it's was someone there to actually see it. Even presence of person can be quite a big step change. You know, again, some of the work that T-Vision have done in the US you know, they're, they're measuring um, uh, if people are in the room or not, which is something Nielsen, the Nielsen panel classically didn't do. So you could almost remove up to like 29% of the impressions advertisers are paying for because nobody's there using their camera technology. So it's, it's an additional thing on top of your ability to say, was someone present? And then can we quantify not just the price, but the value uh, of that media exposure? And I think that's the critical differentiator um but i i don't think it's swapping also, it's yeah it's additive and i think it also it does work <laughs> you know you know when when we've done the work we find that it's the ads that people we predict people look at are the ones that people click on or, or buy from and then in the work that john oversaw when he was at dentsu uh we were looking at people's uh, professed choice afterwards. You, after doing some of the, the more controlled tests that I was telling you about, we, we gave people a sort of a, a choice about what products that they'd like to buy. And we found that viewability, the sheer viewability of things, had very, very little impact on um, seeing uh, on choosing uh, products. So your OTS has very little to do um, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the choice of product. But the S, looking at the ads, seven times more effective mm. still not an absolute guarantee that you know people will buy things but it's seven times more effective than sheer viewability so i don't i do think it, it's still not the full story we haven't solved advertising uh, yet but it's it's a damn sight more uh, realistic and it and, and it does seem to have actual real world um uh, uh, impact okay um, Bradley Hall asked, is it a case of better ad formats or better ad creatives? Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> but how do we extrapolate the one from the other? Um, is yeah. it just we have to build up data over such a long period of time that multiple dozens of creatives run in the same format and then we take a view at that point? Is that how we do that? Yeah, I think, I think, I think just to sorry, just ch jump in, but I talked about it earlier being a scale. So let's take that same telegraph format that has a potential to deliver either, let's say, two or four seconds of attention. That's the averages we observe. And the, the, the differentiating factor is in the creative and the relevance in between it. Um, and, you know, I would love as someone who's sat in media planning functions to be able to go and have a conversation with the creative teams or the content teams that we've got the ability here to deliver four seconds instead of two seconds. But what you've currently given me is only getting me two if we made these adjustments to the ad and made it fit better in the format and cut it down and made the right, this is the impact it can have on media value. There's a shared KPI there, which could be really interesting. We don't have shared KPIs with the creative folks, but if we're both KPI'd on 
delivering better media value. You know, that's 2x the exposure time I've had from maybe spending a little bit of money on, on production costs. Mm. So if I can go to the media folks at client side and say, you know what, if you spend, let's say, five grand just kind of recussing this ad or whatever it might do, I can get you another hundred grand's worth of media value just like that. So I think there's some interesting things around having shared language and shared KPIs with between creative and media teams, which doesn't really exist. Um, and ultimately, it should lead us down the, the road of putting the right creative and certainly the right formats in the right places, which is still really lacking. I mean, we've, been, we've been talking for years around, you know, why would you run a 30-second ad on, let's say, Facebook, for example, I think there's still a lot of people running 30 second video ads. Um, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think yeah, to, to John's point, yeah, yeah, do some research to test it. John mentioned about pre-testing uh, work. We, we, like I say, we, at Luma, we offer that service so that you can build a Coke model or a Coke Zero model or a, um, a, 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 a 7-Up model based on the, the, the research you do to isolate those things. Yes, they do interact, but by doing some research, you can uh, uh, you can work out how much of it is one thing and how much uh, is another is another. And with that data, you can you can take some real important business decisions. So I'm interested to know. So obviously, we've moved as an industry towards viewability over the past ten years. I, I guess um, at this point, um, it, I'd be really interested to know if we've been moving in the right direction. And what I mean by that is, have we found that higher viewable view ads with a higher viewability score and that were on the screen for longer correlate to higher attention? Is there a correlation between the two? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's common yeah, sense I mean, that it would be the case, but I, I thought I'd ask. Probably, that. probably one, of, one of the leading factors from everything I've seen. You know, clearly, an ad has to be available to be seen to to be seen so it's it's clearly a, a huge leading factor um but so it's kind of you know viewability becomes a table stake it becomes a thing you have have to have it's not nice to have like what i talked about earlier with that example of switching it off mm. um it's the it's the bare minimum and, and attention becomes a way to generate further further value um and i think i think it's the, i think it's the right direction of travel you know, we don't we, we measure everything that happens on the screen and on the device but nothing that happens behind the screen and what the person is actually doing it's the first for me human metric in media everything else is device or assumed and this is observed interesting human behavior which is critical to creating better experiences so mike so yeah. if i take if, if i'm in your panel and i sort of go like that when, when there's an ad playing i take it your camera picks that up and goes no nope, deal. look absolutely yeah. and you would yeah. not be alone in that so the mm. ad can be entirely viewable but it, but uh, it doesn't always get attention so i think john's absolutely right i don't think we've been doing the wrong thing by measuring viewability but it isn't the only thing. There's more to it than that. And like you say, especially on YouTube, ads can play for a, a, um, quite a long time and people can, can cannot look at them. In actual fact, here's a fun fact. If you see um, uh, 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 people have been watching your ad for more than about eight seconds, that's probably an indication that there's no one there to watch it. <laughs> Mm. Humans don't watch YouTube ads uh, 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 for very, very long uh, uh, time. So, <laughs> so, so if in your data you see all of these long runs of, you know, a minute and a half of, uh, of playtime, that's probably a leading indicator, that not that someone's totally engrossed, but they've actually gone to make a cup of tea and, and they'll come back later. So viewability is a great start. 
it we use some of those basic data to, as part of our predictions, but it's not the full story. And um, there's a there's an enormous sort of delta uh, that smart uh, brand owners and smart planners can play with. Um, yeah. you, know, you can go so much further beyond uh, share viewability to to really to, to really make uh, a big difference on on um, with with this extra data. It's important to note that a lot of the focus of the research has been on, um, uh, so we did a lot on how does viewability as a metric correlate to outcomes like brand recall, um, brand consideration, short-term advertising strength. I know, I know Karen Nelson-Field in Australia has done lots with um, um, uh, mental availability and various other bits and pieces. So we're, we've looked at as viewability as a metric, how does that correlate to the increases in these mechanics versus attention? And every single time attention correlates so much closer. You see, um, I think I can't remember exact stat, Mike, was it attention four, four times better correlation to choice or consideration outcomes than viewability? Seven. Um, so um, yeah, uh, so uh, much closer for, for for prompted recall, which is inter interesting. It is the interesting thing for me because it's a metric that I, as a media planner, that I have access to that I can optimize against. Can say if I do this, it's, it's likely to generate better results for my clients. So I think attention is closer to outcomes and results for brands than viewability, which is uh, a sort of table stake. Okay, um, I've got two more really quick questions, Mike. I know you've got a very hard stop, so I'm going to try and uh, whiz through them as quickly as I can. Um, Erez Levin says, um, if the ad buyer world moves to valuing attention, a significant change in the demand profile, how do you see changes in the supply landscape uh, shaking out over the next few years, e.g., will there be more rewarded ads? That is a very, and I was just talking to um, uh, a rewarded ads, obviously rewarded ads really important in gaming, um, but also social networks, like there's a new social network called Eight that is all going to be based around rewarded ads. Um, I think uh, probably publishers will realize that they have been, oh, there's been over overstuffing uh, of ads, you know, there have been there's too much, too many ads on the page, and that they'll get more attention and uh, better results for their advertisers by reducing ad yield. So we'll have fewer, fewer better. yeah, fewer better ads. Um, and I think that that's the the nature of it because you can only ever look at one thing at a time. And so we will see websites and publishers of all sorts imposing uh, rules to reduce clutter, to increase the ad size, to have um, more text and more video, and then a big chunk in it, like like almost like a. I've given you this. Now I'll give you that. Um, and then, not quite that is, it gets more expensive. Oh so yeah, the CPMs are going to go through the roof like for the for more. the quality publishers. But that's the, is advertising too cheap? That's the question. Like, is good advertising space too cheap? And and we've you know, the average world monetizes it a hell of a lot. And, and then, then I think the infinite amount of supply that's obviously going to drive the cost down. It'll be interesting to see though if. The, the the top end price that we have now stays the same and everything else goes down or whether the top end price goes up but um yeah. my cynical and, and i think this is why the the, the rewarded ads are so interesting as well because if you take this idea of the attention economy and the attention exchange seriously then perhaps you can go one stage further and say okay let's be let's be honest here i want you to look at this you know, are you prepared to do that? I'll give you something mm. in exchange. There's an implicit exchange with newspapers and magazines that I'll give you all this news, and you, perhaps we can make that more explicit. 
when i think yeah, you, you say something user doesn't it says so we understand your time is valuable and we're willing to pay you for it in exactly. some way yeah. and i think that you said something really smart um i you know right you know d d d absolutely agree with you when it says that there is an assumption that uh, inventory is infinite and it's not well, perhaps it is. Perhaps inventory is infinite. But I tell you what isn't, and that's attention. There's only so many hours in the day, and you can have as many hours as you like, but you can only look at them one at a time. And I think as soon as we understand that, we'll understand that we have to have a proper value exchange between publisher and, 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 and reader. Um, and, 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 and that value exchange is best when it's at a quality level. You know, a lot of, uh, quality journalism, quality content and therefore quality engagement with quality ads. I think, I think that's at the heart of it. If, if you have a positive value exchange between you know, media owner, placement advertiser and, and person consuming it, that is a better experience for people. It's always, to your point, you kind of forget it with things like TV, but you get ads because it pays for the content you love and you watch. Same mm. for good, you know, quality journalism. But so many media experiences online don't offer that. You think of all the terrible clickbait stuff you get let, let down. So if stuff like that falls by the wayside, then fine. Like Let's create better experiences and better results. Excellent. And the last question really quickly. So there's been a lot of attention studies, Mike, that your company and other companies have been involved in over the, over the years. Um, and from everything, if you were to collate everything that you've done, are there some universal truths that will always come up trumps? So um, be that the contextual matching between the advertising and the content, um, the share of screen the ad has, the colors it uses, whether it has characters or not. Are there certain things that you can take to the bank and say, if you do this, this will likely get more attention, irrespective of everything else? Well, that's a tough question to ask for three minutes to go. But, uh, I, so some, some useful rules of thumb which are um, people look at ads as a function of how much they look at the content. So one of the chief, if you're buying ads, look at the sites with the deepest engagement. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, when you say quality journalism or quality content, that means different things to different people. The Sun and the Express and the Mail uh, and, uh, and, and the Guardian, and they all appeal to different groups and their quality to those groups. But I tell you what, they're all quality in comparison to the click farms that John has been talking about. So there really is... Uh, a correlation between engagement with the content and engagement with the with the ad. So, so already media planners should be going for quality engagement there. Um, this, that would be my my my. Uh, the second thing is is about it's usually worth paying for size. Big bold ads might seem expensive, but I tell you what, they're a damn lot cheaper than tiny ads that everyone ignores. <laughs> yeah. And then on the creative side. Um, well, there's lots of rules there, but one to, one to leave you is is the dwell time with advertising is much shorter than you think it is. You, when you're making the ads or buying the ads, your mortgage or your your rent depends on it. So, of course, you're watching the ad right the way through and stuff. Other people, perhaps they've got less skin in the game. You know? So in that case, probably best to think like a poster. Digital advertising especially is, is quite a lot like digital posters, busy things, other things going on. It's like, you know, when you're walking down the street. So think about the simple, elegant, um, uh, 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 visually arresting things rather than, you know, making sure that bullet point number nine, you know, is rendered uh, 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 effectively.
And one of our sayings is say one thing, say it quickly and say it often. And I think that that kind of fits into this attention economy. If you're trying to make four or five points in one ad, you're not likely to get them across when you're, you're, you're talking in one or two seconds yeah. of attention. So what one, you should could have called the company one cells, not six cells. Uh, yeah. That's another story for another, for another podcast. Um, we're coming up on time and I know you have a, a call to get to Mike. So I'm going to say thank you, John. Thank you, Mike, very much. It was as interesting as I thought it would be. Um, I'm apologies to those that we didn't get to. What I might do actually is I might start um, a LinkedIn post with this video um, and then perhaps I can invite uh, you, John and Mike to sort of join in for any follow-up questions um, that we can have sort of going on in that, in, in that post, if that's okay. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Mike. It's been great. And as uh, Rob said, uh, thanks for, uh, for the session. It kept his attention. So perfect. Yes. Well <laughs> very good. Thanks very much, guys. All the Bye, best. Bye, guys. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Cheers.